Hello, product innovators. Today, we learn from the CEO of a $200 million VC firm on best practices for raising venture capital funding for your hardware startup. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, a show to learn from top leaders in product development, prototyping, manufacturing, product selling, and everything in between. Hosted by Kevin Macko, the leading expert on product development for physical product startups. Sponsored by PTC's two best-in-class 3D CAD product development software solutions, Onshape and Creo. And produced by Macko Design and Invent, the original firm providing world-class consumer product development services tailored specifically to startups, small manufacturers, and inventors. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Toph Day to the show. Toph is the CEO of Elevate Ventures, a venture capital firm that has many hardware companies in its portfolio of over $220 million of investments under management. He has founded eight companies with over $600 million in transactions over the past 30 years. Today, Toph is going to share some valuable knowledge from vendors, startups, and small manufacturers on what venture capital funding is, if VC funding is right for you, and some advice on how to plan for and pitch your hardware startup to VC firms. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Toph, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kevin. Excited to be here. Well, we're really excited today to talk to you about venture capital funding, especially for hardware startups. It's something that so many hardware startups consider or are thinking about or going through the process of what better person to bring on the show today than you to talk about this. You've been doing this for 30 years, hundreds of millions of dollars in transactions, and you've worked with well over 100 companies in the space doing all kinds of different things in terms of advisory, actually raising funding or actually investing in these companies. So you know about VC funding and how companies should be both pitching and understanding where that's that fits into the matrix of their overall business scaling plan. So before we get into all that, how did you get to where you are today? That's a great question, Kevin. Sometimes I don't even realize how I got to where I am today. I would say standing on the shoulders of giants and being surrounded by people who are smarter than I am to go try and solve problems. It's been amazing. I think early on when I was a teenager, I knew I wanted to own my own company someday. I had a painting company in college. That's how I paid my way through school. But then I went on to start a broadband company. I got bit by the technology bug, so to speak. And that was back in like 1997 timeframe. And then that kind of sent me off on a path that was unintentional, but ended up starting eight different companies in seven different verticals. And that was anywhere between software and hard tech and family entertainment and real estate and dot-com business, bottled water, you name it. It feels like I've been involved in it. And it's just been an incredible journey. And that all led to taking over as the CEO of Elevate Ventures last July. And uh, at Elevate, we've invested in over 520 companies cross-sector. There's been 130 exits. Also done my own angel investing, et cetera, over the years. So that's kind of a quick high-level summary. Yeah, that's amazing. What a story. And that teases up very nicely. Explain to those who are getting into venture capital or just learning about it for the first time, just describe a bit about what venture capital is and how that kind of fits within other types of funding rounds. Yes, absolutely. So venture capital is a more sophisticated process of investing, you know, as opposed to friends and family or angel investors. And that doesn't mean that, by the way, friends and family, but friends and family and angel investors, those are all sophisticated folks, obviously, have been successful or they wouldn't be able to invest. But venture capital kind of layers in an additional element of rigor to the vetting, the diligence, investment, and post-investment stewardship process. As founders are thinking about embarking on venture capital, the, the short story is you want your story, your message, message, your go-to-market plan, your financial projections to be very tight. And you don't want to come in the door and start saying you've got a unicorn on your hands if there's no evidence of having a unicorn on your hands, right? That's just a surefire way of kind of wasting an hour of time. I would say at a high level, we get to more specifics here, but I think at a high level, it's an elevated level of rigor and discipline in the process of growth. 
Let's talk a bit about hardware and what that means. Typically, from the product development side, we see obviously a lot of people, they start in the early, early stages of the ideation and the industrial design and mechanical engineering, electronic engineering, rough prototyping, all of that. That's generally self-funded or say friends and family. And as they get a bit more developed into like physical products, they move potentially into more sophisticated angel investors or actual professional angel investment networks and whatnot once they've actually kind of got a physical validated product. But that's usually still a bit premature for venture. And I think when you're talking here about showing a really clean, clear pitch, generally it seems to be from the development standpoint, at least from what we see with the hardware startups that are emerging in the hardware tech space, you've got to have at least some provable sales production, that sort of thing to indicate that you're now ready to scale. Let yes. me know what you've seen from your perspective. So all venture capital firms are not created equal. And that's number one, I would mention. So really make sure that if you're going to reach out to venture capital firms, understand what phases they invest in. And so one thing is really important is number one, does that venture capital firm even invest in hard tech? And number two, what stages do they invest in? If they're a series A investor, you want to be really self-critical of how you spend your time. And if you're four years away from series A, you probably don't want to spend your time having those discussions. You do want a relationship built at some point, but you don't want to have those conversations too early because you're going to have a lot of cycles and think that they might invest, but they have no intention of investing yet because you don't meet their mandate, their thesis. Another thing that we see is how companies are structured. So as we all know, folks that are listening, if you're in hard tech, it's hard. It's expensive and it's hard. Just creating a form factor, right? There can be many mistakes and errors that are made in trying to build just the basic form factor of whatever you're building. But one thing that we see is, I want to come back to structure for a moment. When you first start your company, it's really important to keep a clean legal structure. And so a specific example I'm going to give is the misuse of safes. So simple agreement for equity. So these came about, they were invented by Y Combinator, to help them do high velocity standardized investing. And they were first meant for an event, a moment in time. Things were not taken into account in how those safes are treated as a securities document, for example. And so what's happened over time is people are using these safes and different versions of these safes, modifying them and stacking safes on top of safes with different conversions, different caps, side letters associated with them, et cetera. And what they don't realize that they're doing is they're creating a lot of complexity down the road where number one, VCs will not even touch the deal because it's so messy. When you go to try to convert all those safes, if there's a concept now of a post safe, which means basically all the dilution occurs pre-money, that's not founder friendly. You're shooting yourself in the foot and creating more dilution for yourself unintentionally because nobody ever maps these safes out to understand what happens to the cap table. Several pieces of complexity there. But one thing I would just really encourage all entrepreneurs, and especially those in hard tech, safes were never meant for phased investing, for a phase of investing, a phase being over multiple years. They were meant for an event. And so just use a convertible note. It really doesn't cost that much different. It's going to save you a few thousand dollars now, can literally save you millions of dollars in the future. Wow, that's powerful. One of the things that we always see, of course, and it's akin to any business, but especially in hardware, the further that you can push it yourself without yes. getting investors on, the cleaner that it is, right? Or if you're doing friends and family and it's some relatively simple investment instrument, if you're structuring it properly and cleanly, that's something where as you push it down that row, you've got less and less of these layers. As you mentioned, as you start stacking these safes and convertible notes and other investment vehicles, one on top of another, it becomes extremely complicated. I find it very interesting, the fact that you mentioned that if it becomes too complicated, just the legal structure alone, VCs won't even touch it. So you've That's already correct. shot yourself in the foot before it's you even got right. out of the gate. doesn't yeah. matter how great your product is, right? So be very careful with these instruments and know 
what time is right to look at the certain type of investment that you're looking at for that exact moment in your particular business. Yeah, 100% agree. Just to beat that horse one more time, I would just say, just stay away from safes altogether. Unless in the YCOM scenario, I can objectively understand why they use it and it could make sense in their situation. High volume, high velocity, one-time investment, and that company's either going to be dead or alive in 6, 12, or 18 months, in which the intent was it for it to convert into equity at that next round in 6, 12, or 18 months. I can understand maybe in that scenario it plays. That's really good advice. And it's important to consider when you're looking at these funding rounds as well, looking at the quality of what you're offering obviously improves over time. And when you look at hardware, hardware has a few steps to scale. We already talked about the things from design to prototyping and engineering on to short-run manufacturing and full-scale manufacturing and so on as it grows. So you will likely go through funding rounds one way or another, whether you're using something like crowdfunding to maybe bridge a gap between one level and another level of your hardware business. Either way, you're likely going to go through either funding rounds or if you're growing fast enough through pre-sales revenue, that in and itself is a way of looking at a funding round in essence from your customers that you will have to deliver on. So all of these things really factor into an important formula of keeping it simple, keeping it clean, and providing as much value as you can to those potential stakeholders, whether it be investors and customers or various types of investors, grants, et cetera. One of the best things, of course, you can do in hardware is continue to progress the technology. If you are too early for a particular type of funding, look at options where you're at and then look at what you need to get to in order to get to that, let's call it minimum level that's required to maybe approach that particular VC that you know needs to see some level of sales or whatever else. But the further you push it, the more attractive your proposition becomes to all of these different types of investment vehicles. 100% agree. One thing else I would add at this stage is market validation, maybe even ask for non-binding letters of intent. And that's also how you can test pricing elasticity, like what are people willing to really pay for this thing? But don't be afraid and just be transparent about it, right? On where you are in that journey of bringing that hard tech device to market. Don't be afraid to approach those innovation groups, biz dev groups, et cetera, Like that. Now, you're a big advocate of partnerships and other things in terms of scaling and building the business. Talk a bit about that and how that plays into the whole venture capital world and really the attractiveness of a business. Yeah, 100%. If I think back to the first company I started in, 89 was the very first company I started. And I fast forward to today, how you build a business, how you go to market is just night and day. There are many businesses out there you can still go out and build, call it a lifestyle business. You remain in full control and you kind of take a stair step at a time and grow an incredible, wonderful business. In a lot of sectors, so hard tech or software, et cetera, people are leveraging partnerships and capital to get to that next milestone faster. And then the world just changed again 90 days ago, right? With all these AI tools now coming out at our disposal. And now we see companies also spinning up that are, right, just like I think your company. And there's others that have the sole purpose. Actually, you started just I think a long time ago, like 20 years ago, right? But but they have the sole purpose to more efficiently bring that hard tech device through the phases that you just mentioned to help bring that thing to market. I would say very seldom from what we see today of all the companies, we get roughly six pitches a week is the velocity, right? It's high velocity. So we see lots of different types of companies and different sectors, very, very few of them or maybe I should flip it the other way and say the ones that are typically the most successful to make it through from vetting to pitch to diligence to actual investment, they are surrounded by partners. And so it's very easy to make hiring mistakes in your early days. And so working with a partner who's figured out a really efficient model to build the prototypes, to build form factors or whatever, because those are no doubt going to require multiple, multiple iterations. It's just a requirement that you pick those partners early to be as efficient as possible, right? As you try to bring that product to market. 
That's very powerful advice, especially getting in earlier, the better. I mean, that's one of the big things on the product development side. If you can really build a product foundationally strong with best practices, not only in like modern, clean, beautiful design, but also using some of the best technology that exists. Yes. And also pairing that with the ability for it to be very workable and hit certain standards that are required, possibly certification standards. And then right. most importantly, manufacturable, because you actually have to produce the thing at the end of the day. So those are layered stepping stones, but all come from a very strong foundation foundational base to how you're actually building out, designing, iterating that model right from day one. All of that is going to apply forward. And the better engineered your foundation is from the get-go, the significantly more seamless all of the different subsequent steps all the way through to and including production and then scaling production are That's all right. going to be generally even exponentially easier, smoother, and simply lead to a better quality product that's better vetted potentially with, as you mentioned, user feedback, customer feedback, potential stakeholder feedback, investor feedback, all these different elements, which should really lead to an iterative-based approach, even in hardware nowadays, because we can rapidly iterate prototypes so quickly now and with such closeness to manufactured quality goods that you have the ability to test, tweak, and refine much earlier in the process, certainly than 20 years ago when I started the business. Also, the narrow and deep concept plays into hard tech as well. It's really easy for entrepreneurs to kind of the old adage of squirrel and to want to kind of be all things to everybody. And well, somebody else over here that's kind of a non-core customer, but they're willing to write a $38,000 check if you can modify that technology to do this thing over here where there's a market cap of $10 million. Well, okay, that might sound really awesome to get that $38,000 contract early on in your growth. However, it takes you away from your core focus of a $500 million market that people will buy that widget for $25,000. And so really to stay true to that core mission, narrow and deep of whatever the use case is with the highest and best use customers, because it's just super easy to get distracted. I love that you mentioned that. We talk about that a lot, both at the design firm and on the podcast here. We call it feature creep, how deadly that is, especially yes. to hardware. Yeah. And especially as a hardware entrepreneur, it's tough because you want to create all these cool features that you think the market will need. But the clear, undisputed reality is if you look at some of the best product startups, essentially, especially in the hardware space, they generally start with a very core offering, like the original innovation. Like what was the aha idea that you had? Really yes. hyper-focus on that and focus on quality. You cannot build quality if you're too diluted in terms of all these features you're trying to create. But if you really hyper-focus on just that, maybe the one or two core features, do an extremely good job in terms of reliability on that, then you can let your customer base start to educate you on maybe what the next feature will be or this enhancement might be so that you can wedge yourself into the market and then expand and capture market share because you simply don't have the budget that a big corporation does to try and have the be everything to everyone product on day one. Plus it takes them years and millions and millions of dollars just to come out with that product. So don't try and compete head to head with that. Compete head to head on your core innovation, get that in there, do a good job, and then just expand like crazy after that from real customer feedback. It's just de-risking the whole process. Yeah, a wonderful example of that is I, I heard Damon John on an interview recently, and he said, hey, I can't remember who the founder of Under Armour is, but such and such and I, we started our companies at the same exact year, right? FUBU and Under Armour. And he said, I wanted to go build all these incredible products and cool apparel, et cetera, for all these different people. And Under Armour just wanted to go make the best dry fit t-shirt and look at both companies today. Now, they're both awesome, but what Damon's saying is like, look at Under Armour, it's whoop. A lot bigger, right? <laughs> I'm not saying bigger is better, but the point being narrow and deep typically gets you farther. 
Yep, absolutely. Especially as a hardware startup. That's really key. I mean, I look at, especially in the in the teaching side, when I'm doing the lecturing at the master's of engineering level, we do typical corporate design theory, but it's very different than hardware startup theory. And the problem is a lot of hardware startups look at that old traditional theory of how a Fortune 500 company develops their next product and up, tries to apply that with startup funding and they're missing a whole bunch of things like being agile. And in fact, talking about agile design, like agile design itself, the theory of that in hardware, right? How do you be iterative in your design process? Focusing on MVP, focusing on wedging your core competency, not sacrificing quality, which is a key difference, especially from software because there's no bug fix for hardware. So especially the physical elements of hardware, right? That thing is released. Yeah, People are not upset if it doesn't have all the bells and whistles they want, but they are absolutely upset if you release them something and things simply are not working. And that really is a difficult situation to try and come back from. So the fix to that early, we talk about the foundational logic is even when you're in that initial concepting phase, think about your core MVP, how you're going to disrupt with that core original offering and do a great job of that and build the pyramid up from there. I want to talk a bit about the conference that you have coming up because this is amazing. You've got this conference basically that has a large hard tech component, a large startup component, but you're also going cross industry and also both vertically and laterally trying to integrate a whole bunch of different players to do something that's never been done before to really accelerate hardware startups and obviously many others. But for the hardware startups listening to the show here, there's a massive component of that here. And I think that everyone needs to know about it. So talk a bit more about what's happening coming up here in just a couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. So we are launching a new conference. It's called Rally. And so the website is rallyinnovation.com, rallyinnovation.com. The inaugural year is August 29th to 31st this year. It'll be in Indianapolis. And the plan is that this will become the world's largest cross-sector innovation conference. And we're very purposeful about those words. The reason is the world's changed forever. Today's the slowest rate of change that you and I will ever experience, right? For everybody. And so especially with new technologies that have come on the market in just the last few months, if you're in software or hard tech or healthcare or life sciences, med device, sports tech, ag, food, whatever, it doesn't matter. There are all of these components that are cross-sector, cross-industry, cross-discipline that are all required to bring whatever that solution is to life, whether it's a soft good or a hard good. So we are very intentionally building this conference from the ground up. And you can probably replace the word conference with festival or event. But in year one, we're running a $5 million pitch competition. 5 million. And so there'll be five $1 million winners. So hard tech winner, software, sports tech, ag and food, healthcare. So $1 million winner in each of those categories. So pitch applications just closed last Monday, but we have 450 pitch applications from 36 countries, all converging on Indianapolis to compete in this pitch competition. That is really exciting. We're going to have keynotes, of course, that are cross-sector, featured speakers. We have over 200 total speakers. We're going to have 50 content sessions across those five sectors. We have another catch-all sector called entrepreneurship, and that's the catch-all for stuff we can't get to in year one. We'll have investor one-on-one meetups with companies and vice versa. So we're super excited about this. I like to call it creative collisions and bringing people together very intentionally, cross-sector and disparate stakeholders. So cross-sector, we kind of just talked about, but this idea of disparate stakeholders is really critical as well. And so by disparate stakeholders, I mean not only startups and scale-ups and corporate, but also universities, also economic development groups. All of these people are involved in the innovation ecosystem, whether it's actually starting the company, whether it's providing dollars or whether it's providing grants or research and development or talent. All of these things have to get more efficient working together. And that's the whole purpose of Rally. 
That's amazing. Looking forward to it. And for anyone that's listening, I'll also put all the links to the show and to Toast Company Elevate, and we will keep you posted on that uh, as it comes closer to the event as well. Toph, thanks again for all your words of wisdom, helping out hardware startups think about venture capital and how that might play into their future for their hardware business. Thank you, Kevin. Had a blast. Thanks. Much appreciated. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast. If you found some value in the show, please do us a huge favor and leave us a quick five-star review. If you have any questions, guest suggestions, or anything else, feel free to reach out to us anytime at our email, podcast at macodesign.com. That's podcast at macodesign.com. This show is hosted by Kevin Macko, North America's leading expert on product development for physical product startups. Huge thanks to our sponsors, PTC, and their two best-in-class 3D CAD product development software solutions, Onshape and Creo. Macko design and invent the original firm providing world-class consumer product development services tailored specifically to startups small manufacturers and inventors thanks for joining and see you next time